Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy, and I'll be your host today. Um, I am really excited to introduce everybody to uh, two incredible guests that we have on the show today, um, Deborah Goldstein from Enlightened Philanthropy and Bruce Dabosky from the Dabosky Group. And uh, uh, you know, as I have met many of the people that have been on the show, I met both of um, you through the Purposeful Planning Institute and the work that John A. Warnick and Jay Hughes and all that group, um, you know, put together and started us down a path of purposefully thinking about, you know, wealth and philanthropy. And we, we kind of all come together at different, different spots, but uh, here we are. What I'd like to do and what I found to have been to be helpful is um, if each of you could take a minute and just kind of share your journey. How did you end up, you know, in this enlightened philanthropy world or in the, you know, in working with, um, you know, philanthropists and, and, and guiding them through, you know, that these conversations that you that you have with them. So, Deborah, if you don't mind, what's your background and how did you end up doing what you're doing today? <laughs> Uh, well, I have kind of a circuitous background. Um, I'll just say that um, I have worked in the nonprofit world um, on the on the other side of things um, as a grants manager for years, um, and. While I really enjoyed that work and I loved raising funds for the organizations that I was a part of, um, when I started working more with family foundations, I saw that there was um, a real need there to help these families navigate their, um, their, their own philanthropic journey. And so, um, so in 2008, I went out on my own and created Enlightened Philanthropy and, um, and now have been on the journey on the other side of things. So I, I really appreciate that experience I had in the nonprofit world. And I, that's certainly something that I bring to my work is that understanding of how a nonprofit operates and, um, because I think that's a missing piece for some um, individuals and families is that world is a mystery. Yeah. And so I can help um, bring that lens to my work with them. And um, since then I've been working with individuals, families, and also um, a lot of youth and teens um, helping, helping all of them um, build their philanthropic identities in this world. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Bruce, 
give us a give us the the five minute or not five minute. The, give us the overview of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, I started out as a trial lawyer. Uh, I practiced law for 25 years, and my I had gone to law school to use law as a tool for social change because I felt that it was a, a really effective way for me to help help people uh, move forward in the world. And so for 25 years, I was a trial lawyer in Denver, Colorado, where I represented um, a lot of people uh, in a lot of very difficult circumstances trying to level the playing field and get justice. And um, uh, after 25 years of fighting for a living, um, I decided to do something different and I, I left the law and I became the regional director of the Mountain States Office of the Anti-Defamation League, which is a hundred plus year old um, organization based in New York, um, but, um, but with regional offices across America. And um, I ran the Mountain States Office and our primary job was fighting all forms of bigotry. And it was in that, it was in that, that cont context that um, I became a fundraiser. And I raised money to support our nonprofit organization here in the Mountain States. And uh, um, I, I watched how people gave their money away. And I was really surprised because I saw really well-intentioned, really smart, really generous people. When it came to their philanthropy, they were usually disorganized and even more often not strategic. So 10 years ago, in 2010, I opened the Dabosky Group. It's a philanthropic strategy consulting firm. And uh, we work with clients across the country, including, as you know, in Rochester, uh, but across, uh, across the country from coast to coast. Families, businesses, family foundations, public foundations, and family offices. And we really help them answer two questions. And then I'll, 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 I'm almost done with my intro. Um, two questions. The one is the obvious question that I knew we were going to be helping people answer. And that is, what difference do we want to make in the world? How do we want to change or preserve something of value out there outside our window? But the second question has emerged over a decade of this work. And it's really what we're going to be talking about significantly today. And that is, what difference do we want to make for ourselves? And I find that if you answer both questions well, you can create then a strategy to achieve both goals and be much more effective as a philanthropist. So A, what difference do we wanna make in the world? And B, what difference do we wanna make for ourselves, our family, our business? Um, that, really can, that philanthropy can be a, a really powerful tool to help people un, uh, uncover the answers to those questions. Thank you. And then, and what you just said, you know, we, I think the three of us at one time or another have had conversations just like this, you know, the title of today's, you know, episode is how family philanthropy can strengthen your family and your family business. And one of the things that I have found through the years of working with family owned businesses is that when they have a core purpose, that's greater than profit? Why do they exist? What, is, what difference do they wanna make in the world inside their business when they're thinking about those things? Um, they outperform their non-family owned or their non 
you know, purpose-driven competitors always, or, you know, more, more often than not, I would say. And so I think that what you hit on, Bruce, is the fact that having that, what do we want, what are we trying to accomplish for the world, and what are we trying to accomplish for ourselves, um, they're really powerful things. What is it, Simon Sinek says? Start with why, right? So um, we talk about, you know, what is effective philanthropy um, and why does it matter to, you know, somebody's family? Why does it matter to their business? Um, Bruce, why don't you kick off and just, you know, talk about what is, you know, your version of what is effective philanthropy even mean? And then well, we'll, we'll dig into the rest. Well, um, I, I obviously, we could spend a day, uh, a week, uh, maybe even a month on uh, what is effective philanthropy. But um, um, one thing I'll just add is that um, I, write, uh, I write a column. I've been writing a column for 10 years that's nationally syndicated called On Philanthropy. And one of the topics that I frequently visit uh, in that column is what is uh, effective, what, what, what makes a difference. And uh, for those who are listening or, or, or watching uh, or hearing this, uh, all of those columns are, are on my website. But but I, I have a number of columns on what is effective philanthropy. And I, I'll highlight just a couple of the elements of what I think are important. First is to look through those two lenses, right? Answer those two questions, right? First is what difference do we want to make in the world? But equally important is what difference we want to make for ourselves. And that process itself is um, um, a very important and um, uh, and meaningful process for families and family businesses to go through. Um, second is is I think you have to create a safe zone for these conversations. You have to set a new table. Uh, families uh, have a dinner table, and mom and dad sit in their places, and the kids sit in their places, and there's certain ways that families relate to each other parents to kids to grandkids. And I believe that you have to create a, a, a new table for philanthropy where everybody gets to sit as equals, where you have different ground rules, where you have different ways of communicating so that the generations among themselves and between themselves have an opportunity to truly effectively communicate. And I've written whole columns on just how to create a safe zone for family philanthropy. Um, third, I think you need to go deep, not wide. Uh, I think it's important to try to reject peanut butter giving, where you take your gifts and you spread a little bit along as wide an area as you can to cover the surface of all the wonderful charities that you'd like to help, but rather to focus your philanthropy on, on a few causes, on a few things that your family or business can really leverage your resources and make a difference in. Um, fourth is, uh, I, I believe in, in the importance of the uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, and they can be a roadmap for philanthropy uh, to help you focus and to help guide your work to make sure that you're headed in the right direction to make the difference you want to make. Um, a couple more really quickly are um, uh, look at your philanthropic capital holistically. Right, so if you have a family foundation or a donor advice fund or a corporate or a business foundation, take 100% of those assets and deploy those towards your mission. The 5% that you give away in grants and the 95% that you invest for growth also invest it in a way that advances and doesn't contradict your mission. 
Mm. So view your, your, your philanthropic capital, capital, which is already off your balance sheet because it's already been contributed to a 501c3, right? View that as a holistic entity of money to try to achieve your mission and to make the, the difference you want to make in the world. And, um, and then finally, is view your philanthropy with, with nonprofits as a partnership, as any good partnership, good communication, fair balance of power, uh, listening, learning, talking about failures, learning from failures, learning from successes, just like any partnership rather than the uh, traditional power dynamic between the grantor who has all the money and all the power and the grantee who has to do what they say. So I'm really, uh, ur we urge our clients to really try to level that, 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 that table between grantor and grantee and view it as a partnership. So those are just a few quick um, uh, um, ideas that I have about how to be an effective philanthropist. Thank you. So Deborah, I guess let's go with first anything to add to that or any comments about that. That was, you know, wonderful, Bruce. Um, but I, I think more importantly, if you could like, kind of, you know, why does it matter? Why does effective philanthropy matter? And, you know, and, uh, to the family or to somebody's business, you know, how does it make a difference? Um, <clears throat> such a good question, Michael. And I think uh, just to, um, just to reinforce what Bruce has said, I, I think he's really made some good points on what effective philanthropy is. And I think what it comes down to is it's different for every family. And, you know, in the, uh, when I was on the other side of things, um, you know, there was kind of a joke that it was like, if you know one family foundation, you know one family foundation, because every family is different. And what they care about in the world um, is different. And so it's, it is really about each family making their own strategy to make that impact. And I think there's something that happens in really examining, um, you know, taking these two pieces that Bruce is talking about and examining um, their outward, you know, the impact they want to make in the world and then examining that inner impact that they want to make in their family. And you take those two pieces and it becomes very powerful. And um, it matters because it can make your family better and it can make the world better. And, um, and I think it's just, you know, I love what Bruce is saying about that you're coming to a different table. It's very true when you're, when you're engaging in philanthropy Everybody needs to come as equals and um, engage in listening in a way that they probably haven't been to really understand what's happening at the different generations. And, um, and I think what you'll see is that the younger rising generations are very much influenced by their parents and their grandparents in terms of their giving their interests, however, are going to diverge in some respects. And, um, and so that's where that, you know, the meeting of the minds comes of um, listening to each other and understanding why something matters, you know, to one generation or one person versus 
another generation. It's just, a, it's a very powerful process. And um, when it's done successfully, the impact can be huge. Great. Both of us picked up on that, you know, setting a different table um, as, a, as a nice, you know, way of looking at things. I would share with you, you know, I have found in working with family businesses that, that that's a nice analogy that I might, you know, borrow from time to time. Family businesses are very used to doing things their way. And sometimes, you know, I, I know walking into a family business, it's, you know, my way or the highway happens an awful lot of times. It's, you know, the, it, getting that thinking differently where non-family members can have a seat at that table and a powerful and impactful seat at that table is, you know, um, when, when that starts to happen, great things happen for a lot of families. And I would say that, you know, in your analogy, Bruce, it's like, there's a lot of power in the rising generation and the next, un, younger generations and the older generations. And if you just, you know, focus too, too harshly, I would think that uh, um, you lose the value. And I, I think that's where we're going next is, you know, um, the benefits of how giving can benefit, you know, family businesses, as well as the causes you support. Um, I think that if done properly with, you know, that effective philanthropy, that makes a big difference, correct? Um, it does. I, I want to mention just one more thing about the philanthropic table. Sure. Most, most of our dinner tables are rectangular uh, or square, right? But usually a lot of times they're rectangular, right? And, and uh, the, oftentimes the wealth creator, be it mom or dad, sits at one particular end. And then the other family members sit in their designated places. What I like about a philanthropy table, and I try sometimes even to physically have one, uh, is to make it round. Um, is at least uh, uh, figuratively, if not actually, uh, is to create a round table where there is no head of the table, where everybody occupies an equal seat and where the voices of the different generations can be heard as equals rather than one being more powerful than the other. I, I literally have a client who I, I am allowed to sit next to at family meetings and um, he wears cowboy boots because I am permitted to kick him under the table <laughs> when he starts to act like the dad and the, and the commander in chief of the family like he does in his business. And uh, so we create round tables where people can sit um, hopefully uh, more as equals than they often do at the dinner table at which they, uh, they had nightly dinners as they were growing up. So the answer, the, the answer uh, that I would give to your question about how, how, how uh, giving can benefit a family business as well as causes is, is there, in many families, uh, a family foundation can be the first place where the rising generation can, can learn how to read a balance sheet, um, can work with financial advisors and understand the investments of their philanthropic assets. Um, they can learn how to, uh, how to assume leadership, how to take leadership and responsibility for, um, for different aspects of the philanthropic plan. Um, the cool thing about philanthropy uh, is that once that money has been given away to a family foundation or a donor advised fund or a business foundation, it no longer is owned by the family. 
it's owned by the public. It's a 501c3. So you have this pool of money that you can learn with and grow with and do things with. It's not even your money, right? It's, it's the public's money. It's there for the public good. So you can free yourself of some of the control and power and outcome things that are normally attached to the money that you still own because it's really there for the public good. And it's a great, I, I, I call it a Petri dish uh, because it's a place where young people, rising generations can learn to experiment with money in a way that it's not so easy to experiment with the family's money uh, because the family's money pays for college educations and vacations and all the things that families wanna use their money for. But once it's been committed to philanthropy, it's no longer the family's money. And so it's a perfect learning opportunity for young people to learn about communication, uh, about trust, about, about finances, about impact, about power, and ultimately about leadership. Love it. Deborah. I know that you share the same, you know, feelings as Bruce does about the, the benefits that, you know, a family and family business and the causes could, um, you know, benefit from that. Um, any examples of you know, families that you've worked with or people that you've worked with where you've seen that in action? Um, I mean, sure. Um, you know, I think um, one of my favorite examples, and this will, this will take from a very young rising generation, um, they were somewhere between um, elementary school age and um, just starting college. And, um, and, and for me, you can, you can start, you know, that young. I think it's great. The younger you start, the better. Um, and um, so they were, they were Gen 3. They were, the grandparents were the, the, um, wealth generators and um what i saw was um generations coming together you know i think what we find in these um in these families is that families are distributed around the country now around the world even and so one this is an opportunity to bring together family that may not be um, engaged on a regular basis. So that's one, you know, one beautiful benefit of this. And, um, and then where I always like to start is with values. And so when I started having the conversation with these young minds about values, you really found that while there were some differences, there was a thread of probably two or three values that um, you could see had been passed down. And when you find that commonality, that's the place where you can build. And I just think, you know, families that, that engage in this are really preparing their, the rising generations um, and providing them all these, you know, these skills that Bruce is talking about um, in ways that really help guide them and prepare them to then step up into more um, and greater leadership responsibilities. 
So for this family, they were, at the time that I was working with them, they were just having their first member rising from, um, from their sort of junior board, as they called it, to, you know, the actual decision making. And, um, you know, he came on ready to go because he had had that preparation. Um, now they were dealing with a much smaller pot of money than, uh, than many other families maybe, um, but still the, the practice and the implementation of these ideas and um, processes is there. And um, I just, you know, I found a very engaged um, family and, the, and, you know, it was very empowering to see. I think the youngest at the time was maybe in second grade. And um, let me tell you, he was raring to get out there and change the world. So, you know, that comes from this whole process. Love it. Thank you. When we, so that kind of leads into, you know, top-down philanthropy, and top-down succession planning um, are often limited, um, if not, you know, unsustainable. Um, why don't I, Deborah? I'm going to stick with you for a second. Give you, a, you know, do you want to talk about, you know, what does top-down philanthropy even mean? Top-down succession planning, and you know, why it's not sustainable? Sure. Well, in my mind, the top-down is that it's coming from the wealth generators. That they're saying this is the way it's to be. Um, you know, like you said, it's my way or the highway. This is the way we do it in our family. Um, this is the way we've always done it, you know, sort of those phrases that you hear. And, um, you know, and what we were saying earlier, I mean, this is where that round philanthropic table really comes um, comes to the forefront and it is a place where you have the equal voices. And as I said, you're going to find that um, while there may be shared values between the, um, between the generations, you may see those expressed in the world differently in terms of how they want to make an impact, in terms of the interests you know, um, older generations were really into building the institutions in our world, creating, you know, the art museums and the, um, you know, the libraries and the, the great institutions that we have. And those need to be maintained. And we have other things, other places that we want to make an impact. Um, what we're seeing in the rising generation is they're very interested in advocacy and they're very interested in environment. So their expression of the family's values and how that can make a difference in the world and impact people is going to be different. And, um, and so in that case, top down does not work because you're going to have um, a difference of opinion. So that's where you bring in everybody's, that's where the active listening really takes place is how can we still um, move forward our own values in the world and make an impact 
and yet do it in a way that honors um, the generations that are to, to come. Great, thank you. Bruce, would you like to add to the conversation on top-down philanthropy? Sure. Uh, you know, top-down top down, uh, philanthropy reminds me of a school of management in business called command and control. Mm. Um, command and control is a, is, a, is a very effective management tool that works for a while. It works, a, it works in the short term. Command and control gets things done the way you want it done right now. It's my way or the highway. And uh, it works in the, sh in, in, the, in the short term. But command and control has been proven over decades of analysis not to be an effective management style in business or families or philanthropy. And ultimately, ultimately a collaborative form of leadership uh, emerges which in, which in which whether it's a, uh, a family philanthropic table <clears throat> or a business philanthropic table, it's round. And command and control uh, is, is, uh, is, is outdated uh, and no longer viewed as an effective leadership style in business. And that's true uh, in philanthropy. And what I, what I see in, particularly in the multi-generational families that we work with, if it's, if it's dictated from above, the young folks, the rising generations, will um, um, will play along. Will will participate out of respect, out of honoring the older generation, out of admiring the older generation, and out of respect for the older generation. But they won't buy in. It won't be their journey. It'll be dad's journey, or mom's journey, or grandma's journey, or grandpa's journey. But it won't be their journey. So as they emerge into young adulthood and adulthood and have their own priorities and their own families and their own careers, whether it's in the family business or not, they'll gravitate toward the things that they're interested in. So if the older generation is saying, no, you're going to do what we're interested in, you're only going to give to opera, and you know the 20-year-old isn't into opera, sure, they'll do it out of respect, but they won't buy in, and it won't last long and eventually they'll drift away from that philanthropic table because it's not their table. The beauty of a philanthropic table is that it can really be a place where everybody gets to sit, where everybody gets to have a place at the table and feel the, that, that buy-in, look through their own generational lens and find passion and engagement around the things that they collectively care about. And so it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a good analogy from business Command and control will work for a while, but it won't work for the long term. And the goal of most family philanthropy and business philanthropy is to last over time and not just, uh, not just to last for right now. Love it. Yeah, I, it's funny when, as, you, as you say that, I have two images, two things that come to my head. One is um, we, uh, we have a set of ground rules when we meet with one family business. And one of the ground rules is G2, wait for G3 to answer. <laughs> right. And, and you're, because you're, we're trying to grow the succession plan, we're trying to mentor. And if you're always jumping in and answering for them, you know, it doesn't help. And I think that the same thing comes from the philanthropy. If it's top down, you're not getting, you know, what you're looking for out of it, if that's what you're trying to do. I mean, I think that goes back to what you said, Bruce, is, you know, be, be specific in what you're trying to accomplish. 
maybe well, that's I, not what it not it. Well, I don't, let me just tell you, in my family, I have four sons and they range from age 33 to 12. The 33-year-old the looks at the world through a completely different lens, similar values, but a different lens than I do. And the 12-year-old looks at the world through a completely different lens than his 33-year-old brother, right? Because each generation of, 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 of people have their own life experiences, have their own lens, have their own opportunity to view the world differently. And we all have so much to learn from each other. Uh, the older generation from the youngers and the youngers from to, for the olders, that the opportunity to do so in philanthropy, when again, it's outwardly focused. Right. Difference in the world. It's no longer your own money. It belongs to the public. It's there for the public good. It's rich if it's done right. Perfect. Have either of you um, uh, heard of uh, Liz Wiseman? She wrote the book Multipliers. Um, I think that uh, if you haven't, it, it's, I just was in a seminar with Liz and she talks about, you know, as leaders being either multipliers or diminishers. And, and right in the middle of being a multiplier or a diminisher is where many, many people sit where they're an accidental diminisher. They have all the best intentions. They're really trying really hard to make all these things happen properly. But, you know, these little things that come up like, you know, um, the idea fountain was one of them. And I, I use that one because I'm an idea fountain. I have an idea a minute and it drives my team absolutely crazy. They can't keep up with it. But I could see the same kinds of things happening inside of philanthropy or inside of, you know, not just in business, that somebody could be an accidental diminisher and that, you know, working on those things to help the next generation flourish and become all the things that they can be would be really helpful. Just a side note for you that, uh, that you might find interesting. Um, when we talk about, you know, the rising generation and family philanthropy, um, what are, what would you say are some of the skills that, the rising generation can learn and why are they learning those skills? Do you, if you have an example of, you know, where those skills are transferable, um, that would be wonderful. And Bruce, why don't you kick us off on uh, the skill sets that, you know, are learned in the, through family philanthropy. Well, there's, there's a, a, a very long list of skills that philanthropy can teach. Um, I, 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 a few of the top ones are, are, um, are how to behave in groups, right? Um, we, you mentioned, Michael, the idea of setting ground rules. Um, we, we do that with every family. Um, is we, 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 set a, we set ground rules for this new table, right? For the philanthropic table. How are we gonna treat each other? How are we gonna learn from each other? How are we gonna disagree? How are we gonna support each other? How are we gonna thank each other? Um, uh, and, and there are many ground rules that families establish that then apply in other settings, right? In, whether it's in the family business or even when they move over to the dinner table or in other family gatherings. I mean, one of my favorite ground rules that some families put in is no eye rolls, right? You're not allowed to roll your eye when you're 
father or your brother or your mother says what you know they're going to say, and then you roll their eye, and then you're basically saying, I don't, you know, I'm not even listening to you. It's a very dismissive, very dis dis disrespectful, very common reaction. I actually have that rule with my wife. We have a no eye roll rule. <laughs> both of us are great eye rollers. But if we eye roll, even in a marriage, right, let alone in a family philanthropic table or a business setting, you're basically saying to the other person, what you just said doesn't matter. Right. Um, so we start with a set of ground rules for behavior that then can be applied to other settings that, are, um, that help, help teach listening, help teach um, uh, other important skills. Uh, uh, philanthropy can, can help the rising generation learn how to listen and how to disagree, right? Disagreement is productive. Disagreement is exciting. Dis disagreement causes growth, uh, but how you disagree is, 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 is important. And so uh, philanthropy, the philanthropic table can be a place where you can learn how to disagree, but still move forward um, as opposed to get stuck. Um, uh, the, phil the philanthropy table can be a place where you can learn the, the, the skills of effective uh, communication. You can learn how to trust other people to do their jobs and then learn how to say thank you and how to acknowledge, you know, something that it's really hard for some people to do is to acknowledge the, the hard work that other, peoples are doing, uh, other people are doing. Think how valuable that is in a business setting, right? To be able to acknowledge the success and the hard work of your um, uh, table mates, uh, whether it's a business table or a philanthropy table. And ultimately, um, philanthropy is a place to learn leadership. And all of these skills that we're talking about, that Deborah has mentioned, that you have mentioned, that I have mentioned, all of these are about leadership. How do you be a good leader? You have to be an effective communicator. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to collaborate. You have to learn how to disagree, right? You have to learn how to acknowledge. These are all leadership skills that can be taken from the philanthropic table and all the family philanthropy or business philanthropy and apply it to a business setting. So I'm a great believer in the use of philanthropy to build leadership among the rising generation, build better communication among the generations in a family, which ultimately help the family, help the business, and at the end of the day, helps the world. Because at the end of the day, we're putting money out the door to some very worthy or needy cause. That, that, that is dependent upon philanthropy to do its great work. Great, thank you. I, uh, I'm, th I'm thinking of an example that is, we're not, I have a family where we're working on, on the foundation right now, and it is 95% top down and um, trying to figure out how to maneuver that to not be top down um, because um, they have a one grandchild that's the only grandchild that they're going to have, and they are planning on having multi multi millions in that you know the family um, it's a family foundation, and this one grandchild is expected to run it. She's eleven. We have no idea whether she's going to have an interest or not have an interest, or whether you know what her life is going to look like. Um, and they, they involve her, but it's all grandma and grandpa tell her what to do. And 
that's this is really helpful for me just I'm trying to think about how do I frame that going forward in our July family foundation meeting so thank you appreciate that <laughs> um, Deborah when we talk about you know the skill sets and um, you know what you see people you know what they're what these rising generations are learning you talked about an example earlier with the family that you were you know serving where you had young young kids in there um, what other things did you you know see coming from the, you know what is, what else are they learning what are the other skill sets that are coming out of there well you know um, Bruce started started us off with a great list and I would just add a few things I think also um, you know, critical thinking skills are at play here. You're really, you're needing to analyze things. You're needing to do evaluation. You're needing to, um, you know, make decisions like Bruce said. I think also this is a great place to learn to take risks to, um, you know, a lot of philanthropy is about playing it safe. And yet there's a real opportunity here to take some risks and see if maybe, maybe it's going to pay off. Maybe there's an impact um, beyond your wildest dreams and vision for what you can do because you really invest in something that's a different approach that's not being taken out there. So I think that's a great, um, you know, skill to work on. And then especially, um, especially for these younger kids, since you brought them up, Michael, you know, empathy. Mm -hmm. um, is really at play here and being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and feel like, um, you know, what it might feel like for that person um, in the world. And I think that's a really important skill um, to build for, um, especially for younger kids, because that will only serve them as they, they go about um, their lives. And all of these, all of these together help each of these individuals as part of a family create their own philanthropic identity and how they want to show up in the world. And I think that's, um, that's just something so powerful for these, especially, especially younger um, kids to be able to feel like they have a voice in this and to learn to speak up for themselves, to learn to be able to, um, to like Bruce said, effective communication, but to really get your, you know, get your point across, get your view across in a way that's, um, you know, that's going to be, um, that's going to be heard. Great. I wanna, I wanna I, I, Deborah made a really, a, a number of really great points there, but the one that I really love was the idea of taking risks. Um, I, first of all, you can take risks with this money because again, it's not your money, right? And if it, and if you take a risk and it doesn't succeed, it doesn't affect anything in your life other than the amount of philanthropic capital you may be able to give away, but it doesn't affect your security, your safety, your, your future. Um, I view philanthropy as the ultimate risk capital. Because when you look at the, 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 the sources of capital, there's the private sector and they, they invest for financial return and they, can't, they can take some risks, but ultimately they're responsible to their shareholders. Uh, government uh, has to solve a bunch of social problems and they can take some risks, but ultimately they're accountable to their uh, electorate, to, their, to the citizens, to the voters. 
philanthropy, for good and for bad, isn't accountable to anybody. So we encourage clients to take some percentage of their philanthropic capital and, and, and take some moonshots, right? I'm working, I'm working with a family uh, that, that gives to all kinds of organizations, but they take some of their money and they support cutting edge experimental medical research. The chances are, uh, are that that research will not produce um, a cure or a result that'll save lives. But unless that research is done, it'll never, it'll never happen. So they take a percentage of their, of their capital and they take moonshots, right? Because if it fails, it doesn't affect them. And if it succeeds, it, 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 the scale of its impact is far beyond the investment. So uh, the idea of using philanthropic capital to take risks is something that really resonates with me, Deborah, because I think it's a chance to do something which, with this money that is no longer on your balance sheet to try to try some new approaches, some different approaches to solve traditional and intractable problems. And it's a very exciting vehicle or Petri dish again from which to do that. So thanks for bringing that up, Deborah. You're welcome. And I'm, I want to hit on the empathy one, um, because in this world of social media and um, the lack of social interaction face-to-face, -face, um, I think empathy is lacking um, in some of the rising generation, um, just from my experience. And, and I think that this is, that is such a great example. I think, you know, one of the places our kids learned empathy was, you know, doing the work. They, they chose to work. We, had, we worked in a soup kitchen um, locally. And that was, uh, you know, all the kids at the table. We had, you know, philanthropy cards and the different, you know, values and, and different things you could do with philanthropy. And, you know, we each chose three different cards and then we put them in the middle and we worked together to come out with, what we were going to, you know, what we were going to work on. Um, and that was, uh, that was a fun thing, but it ended up being, you know, a soup kitchen and the kids got to see all kinds of different, you know, lifestyles that were a lot different than what they were used to living. So I, I think empathy is a really big, powerful tool inside of there. And, and, um, and, to, and to underscore that, I mean, these are usually, um, we're talking about families who have um, extra extra money, right? They have wealth, right? So that they can afford even to consider philanthropy. So by definition, we're talking about children who are being raised in, in tremendously privileged environments. Um, and so uh, to use philanthropy as a place to see how the world lives, how most of the world lives, and to learn uh, how much of a struggle it is even to put food on the, on, on, on the table or to or to have a, a shelter that protects you from the elements. Uh, it's a great opportunity for that, uh, that to happen. I'm, I'm working with one family where it's actually the younger generation that has, has expressed concern for the elderly. And the fact that we tend to not do a good job in our society to care for the elderly. And so we're now funding um, a lot of different causes to help the elderly, but it didn't come from mom and dad, it came from the kids. And uh, so it's a great opportunity for all of that to blend uh, in a marvelous mix of values uh, and learning and passion um, uh, that, that we really believe in. So. 
so we talked about a bunch of the different skill sets, you know, that the rising generation are going to learn. Would either of you mind sharing some examples of where you saw or that, you know, what were the tools, what were the things that you exercises that you helped put into place so that you could, you know, generate some of those things, something, you know, live, you know, with, with a family that worked. So I'll jump in here. So one of the, um, this actually isn't, isn't a family example, but it's, it's an exercise that I would do with a family. And it's something that's coming to my mind is um, one time I did a presentation actually with a Girl Scout troop and um, was introducing them to the, the idea of philanthropy. And one of the exercises I do is I have um, a bunch of photos I use. It's from a group, Bruce and I have both been trained by 2164. And um, they have these picture cards that they call legacy cards. And the idea is, you know, sometimes uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. And, um, and it can really sort of um, set off something visceral, you know, when you see a picture. So I had the, the girls go through the pictures and um, identify some that might express something that they want to see happen in the world. And, um, and everybody in the group was, you know, able to find something that really spoke to helping other people. One girl in particular, though, had a little, a little trouble with this. And she just found there was like a picture of a mansion. And that's what she picked out. And she couldn't, she couldn't express, you know, what it was, but she wanted that mansion. And, um, and so I walked her through, you know, well, that's, that's a really nice house, you know? And if you want a house, don't you think there are others who want a house, who want shelter over their heads? So I kind of helped her to see that, well, her, she may already have shelter and her vision for herself is a bigger, grander shelter. She also needed to realize there are people who walk around this world that don't have a home. They don't have a shelter and they need that. And so that was a way to sort of take on um, and, and sort of help her reframe her thinking um, to help her realize that there is a, there's a true need in this world for, for shelter for people. And um, so that's just an example of one, um, one exercise that I do with pretty much everybody um, is, is to use these pictures to help verbalize um, the legacy and, and what um, individuals and families want to see um, created in this world. Great, thank you. Bruce, in terms of um, families that you've worked with and you've watched the rising generation or the next generation start to grow and change. What was, you know, we talked about leadership before. Um, anything come to your mind in terms of a, a strong example of how that worked? Um, I have, I have many, but I'll, 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 um, I'll focus um, um, uh, on one family. One of the things that we do with families, as I said earlier, we, in order to set this philanthropic table, is we set these ground rules about how we're gonna treat each other, right? The other thing is we do is we, is we define the purpose. What is the purpose for this joint effort? 
why are we doing this? What, why are we taking all of our time and all of this money and coming together around a philanthropic table? And I have seen families where the number one purpose of their family philanthropic endeavor is to keep the family working together over generations, right? It's to help the family thrive over time and over distance and over challenges that happen. So I'm working with one family right now where um, one branch of the family uh, is um, deeply religious and very conservative. The other branch of the family is the opposite. They're not religious and they're very liberal. So under normal circumstances, they really wouldn't have a lot to talk about because they didn't feel like they had a lot in common. But they formed a family foundation that started by the brother and sister of G1, and then there's the G2, and then there's now a rising G3 of little ones, but coming. And they decided that their first purpose of this whole effort is for the family to learn to work together, for the cousins to get to know each other, for the siblings to get along and to begin to make decisions together as future stewards of the family's wealth. And their secondary purpose was to make a difference in the world. But their primary purpose was to, is to keep the family together. That's that question, what difference do we want to make for ourselves, is their difference was they wanted to help the family thrive over the generations. So when we make decisions, when we work, when we sit at that philanthropic table, the first priority is how do we do this in a way that helps this family blend its values as opposed to be divided by its values and work together. And a classic example came up is that they wanted to fund some medical research. And there was a particular disease that the family is concerned about. And so they wanted to fund the med some medical research, but they discovered that the researchers were using stem cells um, from aborted fetuses. Well, that offended the, the, the religious side of the family. Um, and so we worked together as a family to find a way to do that research without doing that because the purpose wasn't to do the research, that was the secondary purpose. The first purpose was to get the family to work together and to keep the family going together. So we solved the problem by being respectful of the family differences with the eye toward that family purpose of, of helping the family thrive over generations. And the medical research was funded, but it was funded in a way that didn't offend one part of the family's deeply held religious beliefs. So. I mean, that's just one of many examples that I could give of where this philanthropic table, setting a purpose, establishing ground rules, and ultimately having a shared mission can be a place for great healing, great growth, and great opportunity for families. Yeah. I, I, would, I would throw in there, you know, we talked about this, and I, I don't know if it was Deborah that said this or Bruce, but there was a family that didn't have a, it wasn't like multi-million dollar, you know, family foundation but even doing this with small amounts of money it doesn't take an awful lot of money to make this work right you know it's you can teach you know some a, a child that's five years old you can have these conversations with and have an impact correct yes absolutely and it's it's um it's the practice. I mean, all of these skills that we've been talking about can be learned even when you're dealing with a small pot of money. And, and, um, and I think, in fact, um, 
that was, you've reminded me that that was the family that I was talking about. And I think while I was working with them, the um, younger generation actually proposed to the wealth generators to increase their pot of money that they would get to distribute. Um, and they, you know, came up with their carefully crafted arguments of why this should happen. And, um, and it was, you know, they, there's just such passion around it. So the process can be, um, you know, it may be simplified to some degree, um, but it can be learned uh, you know, if you're giving away a hundred dollars or if you're giving away a hundred million dollars. It's that taking the time to be purposeful with it, isn't it? Right. That's exactly right. You can have a philanthropic table with very, with very little amounts of money because all of this work and all of this journey isn't dependent upon the, uh, on the amount of money that you have to give away. Uh, and uh, um, one thought is that the word philanthropy um, from which philanthropist is obviously derived, means um, philos, is, it comes from the Greek term philos anthropos. And philos anthropos is love of humanity. Doesn't mean you have to be Bill and Melinda Gates to love humanity, um, uh, although they clearly do. Um, but but the, you know, th it's not about how much, but it's the process and the intentionality and the purpose, purposeful approach toward answering those two questions that we talked about that I think uh, are the driver, not the amount of money that you have to give away. Right, and I would also add that, um, that this is an opportunity, I mean, Michael, you brought up this example of the soup kitchen, and I think I've seen multiple families that have done this, that this is also an opportunity, not just to sit at a table and have the conversation, but to get out there and, um, and do uh, be philanthropic by giving their time right. and you know volunteering or um, giving their ties you know pr you know being advocates for whatever cause that um, the family has taken on um, and really spreading the message of how important um, that cause is so there's other ways besides the money that all play into this when the three of us uh, met, you know, to do our, our show prep, so to you know, speak, we talked about, you know, the, the things that drive the wedge typically between generations when we're passing the family businesses, you know, it's that lack of communication, the lack of, you know, differing values, lack of trust that kind of develop as you move from generation two to generation three and generation four specifically. You know, and I think we've hit on it a bunch of times, but I, I think it's a great place to kind of wrap up today is, you know, how does using family philanthropy, you know, help to take the focus and, and change that dynamic? Um, I think the secret of family philanthropy, um, and I'm happy to share it with who's ever listening or watching, is that when, you, when you're sitting at a philanthropic table, you're looking out the window. You're looking outside and you're saying to yourself, how do we wanna make a difference out there? And so the focus isn't so much on the family, it's on how does the family come together to have an impact out there? And in so doing, it, it takes some of the pressure off. 
and it enables the generations to work among themselves and between themselves in ways that they might find more challenging when they're focused on their own money and their own problems and their own challenges. So that's one of the things that it's one of the secrets of family philanthropy is that you're looking out the window trying to solve the world's problems, but at the same time, you're building systems of communication and trust and acknowledgement and learning that enable you to work better together as a family, not only at the philanthropic table, but at all the other tables at which you sit. And there's a, and there's a connection point that's common because it's easy to connect about others and to do things for others sometimes than it is to do things for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. That's true in any family. Right. Right. Um, what I'd like to do is take a minute, each of you, you know, how can people contact you in, you know, if you're a family of means and need a coach, I, I am a big firm believer that um, coaching is the answer to these things. There's just a lot of thought that both Bruce and Deborah have brought to the table in these areas that some of us just haven't had the, the time to think about. And so as coaches, they can bring a lot to the table. Um, if people wanted to reach you, how do they reach you? You know, inter, you know, where, how, how do we reach out to you? I'm, um, I'm easy to find. I'm at enlightened philanthropy. If you can spell all of that.com. Um, or you can email me at Deborah, um, D E B O R A H at enlightened philanthropy.com. Thank you, Deborah. Yes. Bruce. Um, and I uh, have a website called um, DeboskeyGroup.com. Uh, Bruce Deboski is D-E-B-O-S-K-E-Y group.com. And on that website, you'll, you'll have a chance to see all of, uh, all of my columns that I've written uh, over 10 years about all of these questions and all of these issues that we've talked about. So I think the best place is www.DeboskeyGroup.com or you can email me at Bruce at DeboskeyGroup.com. Easy to find as long as you can spell the name. D -E <laughs> I want to say thank you both for joining me today on the Family Biz Show. Um, you've given, me, given us a lot to think about. And um, as you both have said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So um, take this and you know utilize this as a springboard into other things. Um, again, thank you both for joining us. My name is Michael Columbus, and uh, this has been the Family Biz Show. Uh, stay tuned when uh, next week um, we'll pick up on another topic. Love to have you join us again. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. 
Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.